preaching. Um, you may not have noticed, because it's been a subtle shift, but we have changed sermon series. We were um, doing the book of Genesis, kind of the beginning portion of the book of Genesis. That was our plan to just do the first part, right? And then last week, we shifted into a new sermon series that talks about the biblical covenants um, throughout the Bible. And, um, and the first one that we talked about, Dax Palmer did a great job preaching last week. I hope you heard that sermon. If you didn't, go listen to that. It was really good. Um, on the Abrahamic covenant, which of course takes place in Genesis. So you might have thought last week we're just still in Genesis, but we really kind of shifted gears and we've moved into talking about the covenants. And, um, and we did, we kind of jumped some of Genesis. You might have noticed that. So it did kind of pick up speed, right? We were going very slowly through Genesis and we actually did hit a couple of covenants in the, in the early part of Genesis. Did you notice that? Remember, we talked about the covenant with Abraham, well, last week, but before that, we talked about the covenant with Noah, and before that, we talked about the covenant with Adam, right? Um, and, and you need to know that, like, there's kind of two approaches to reading the Old Testament that kind of compete within kind of the Christian world, oftentimes. Sometimes people approach covenants, the different covenants of the Old Testament, heading to the New Covenant in the New Testament, right, as God kind of trying different ways to save people, trying out different things, trying to kind of save people in different ways. Like, he, you know, he tried with Noah, that didn't work. And he tried with Abraham, that didn't work. Now he's going to try with Moses, right? That, that's kind of one of the competing ways that sometimes people read the Old Testament. Like, look, God showed all these different ways that he could, could he tried, he was very faithful but because of man's unfaithfulness, we kind of thwarted his efforts until finally he gave up and he said, all right, look, I'm just going to go down there and I'm going to do it myself, right? The other way, and this is the way that we read the Old Testament, is that there was this covenant of works that was established with Adam that did fail. It showed the failure of mankind to be faithful to God. But ever since then, there has been this covenant of grace that has been growing through these subsequent covenants made with different people that expanded this grace that God poured out on his people. That is the way that we read the Old Testament. And so essentially, we talk about that as redemptive history. So what we've been doing, it's kind of like, I don't know if you, some of you may be Star Wars fans like I'm a Star Wars fan. If you watch episode four, right, that was the first one that came out in 1977. I was one years old. My mom took me to a drive-in theater. It predicted the rest of my life. <laughs> right? But, but you watch that now, right? When they first get in the Millennium Falcon, you're just kind of like, man, that thing's moving slow. It's just kind of like, you're like, ah, oh, the CG, the effects aren't that good. You know, it's just kind of plodding along. You can see that it's just a model kind of, right? And then all of a sudden, right, the effects that made Star Wars so, so famous kick in when Han Solo pushes that little whatever that thing is and they go into hyperdrive, right? Well, that's what we're about to do this morning through redemptive history. We started very slowly like the Millennium Falcon and now we're going to punch, punch it and we're going to go really fast. Um, so we're going to look at the Mosaic Covenant this morning and um, to inform our understanding of that, we're going to read Exodus chapter 24 verses 3 through 8. We're going to read that together. You ready? All right. Sorry, 3 through 11, not 3 through 8. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron. You guys are supposed to be 
Oh, do I have the wrong version again? All right, let's do it together. Ready? <laughs> Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw that the God of Israel there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hands on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would illumine your word to us, that we would see uh, you clearly in this passage, and that we would be encouraged and challenged by it. And that, Lord, the result of our time together would be, Lord, not only our encouragement, but that we would be made more like you. Um, we pray that you would do this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so covenants. Covenants. Why study covenants during Advent? Um, here's why we're doing covenants during the people of Israel wrong, longed for the wrong thing after they were brought up out of e Egypt. Do you remember that in the story of, of Moses? After they get out into the wilderness, they're like, can we just go back and be slaves again? You remember that? We, as God's people, operating in a world of brokenness and fallenness, oftentimes we can kind of interact with that and we can long the wrong direction. And so looking at the covenant promises of God is a great way to train ourselves to long in the right direction, to remember the things that God has promised and to look at those things, look with great hope for those things to be fulfilled, more fulfilled than they are now, recognizing that God has been working all the way through the past. One of my favorite books is the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I don't know why I waited as long as I did. I read that fairly recently in life, um, but it's one of the best books that I've ever read because it's a story about the author, C.S. Lewis, getting on a bus in hell and going to heaven. In some ways, it's a literary picture of basically the entire story of the whole Bible. And that's, that's what covenants are, right? We started right, right after the fall with Adam, God saying, hey, one of Eve's offspring is gonna crush the head of this serpent. Remember, he's going to strike his heel, but he's going to get his head crushed. We're going to fix this. And there's been this slow progression of that happening. You know, um, when uh, recently a movie came out called 8-Bit Christmas. 
Have you guys, nobody's gonna have seen that. Um, I think it dropped on like HBO Max, which I have because, uh, because of my phone subscription. But it's Neil Patrick Harris, and I read that it was like this great tribute to the 80s, so I decided to watch it. It's really good. Those of you who are 80s nerds like me, you're going to love it. Um, it's essentially the story of this father whose daughter wants a cell phone. And, and the way that he interacts with his daughter is he connects with her by saying, hey, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted a, this crazy thing called a Nintendo. And he starts talking about his just desire for this Nintendo, his longing for that, right? Um, and he tells the story of basically how he got one. But in the process, what, what he realizes is there's more to life than Nintendos right? God, in his very slow dealing with us, has been directing our longings towards better things than our sinful hearts gravitate towards. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Mosaic Covenant. Like I said, we're hitting the hyperdrive. Um, We're going to do three things. We're going to look at the context of the Mosaic Covenant. We're going to look at the substance of the covenant ceremony that's in um, what we just read, Exodus uh, 24. And then we're going to look at four gifts of the Mosaic Covenant, which I hope will help us long in the right direction, okay? So context, substance, gifts. That's our outline. So first of all, the context. Context of the Mosaic Covenant. There's lots of ways to come at this. Um, The Mosaic Covenant primarily takes place, right, in the book of Exodus, right? That's why we read Exodus 24. Now, I'm going to assume some biblical literacy here because there have been some movies about Exodus, Prince of Egypt, right? The Ten Commandments, if you're older, Charlton Heston, remember that? Um, that essentially tell the story. But, but real briefly, here's what happens, right? God's people, the ones that kind of descend from Abraham, who've been promised this land, right? They wind up slaves in Egypt. <laughs> they wind up slaves in Egypt, and that's a big problem because God has promised to bring them into a land, to make them into a great nation, to be a blessing to all nations, and to bring them in a land. They're not in a land, they're in Egypt. And so God sends a deliverer, Moses, who's a very unlikely deliverer, by the way, to come and bring them out. And there's this very dramatic sequence, right, of a showdown between the gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, in which the latter, our God, crushes the gods of, gods of Egypt one after another. All those plagues are tied to different Egyptian gods, right? One after another, he just knocks them out, right? And then very dramatically delivers his people by this blood that is spread on their doorposts, right? And, and the angel of death comes in and passes over them, right? And the Jewish people celebrate Passover to this day because of that incredible celebration of God's deliverance of them from death. And then they're brought up out of Egypt, right? And then Pharaoh changes his mind, right? And he sends his armies, and oh no, they're in a cul-de-sac, backed up against the Red Sea. So what happens? Kids. Kids are in here, right? What happens? What happens when God's people are backed up against the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's armies are, are bearing down? I see a hand. Go ahead. Shout it out. That's right. Excellent. He creates a wall of fire and splits the ocean. The wall of fire prevents the armies from getting to the people. The ocean splits and gives them an exit strategy, right? They go right through the water, and then the fire goes away, and then the armies come in, and the water crushes them, right? I mean, dramatic story of deliverance. Then they're brought to the foot of Mount Sinai, and that's where the covenant is made, 
right? After this grand worship service, the covenant is made. And what is the covenant, the Mosaic covenant? We'll get to the substance, but that's where the covenant is made. And then, really, we can't really stop there if we're talking about the context because there's a lot more to it. The rest of the story of Exodus really has to do with like the tabernacle and God dwelling with his people. The book of Leviticus has all these laws about the sacrificial system and how the people are going to keep that in order to kind of like emphasize God's holiness and their holiness, their separateness as a people. The book of Numbers talks about God's preservation of the people in the wilderness. And then the book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses at the end of his life giving this incredible sermon outlining all the blessings and curses of the covenant. And we can't really even stop there (laughs) because all of the prophets in the Old Testament herald back to this covenant as kind of the agreement between God's people and God. And they're constantly kind of coming to God's people and saying, hey, remember the covenant? Remember the promises God made? Remember the promises you made to God? Right? That is the context. So I just want to point something out because there's been some talk lately from the pulpit about who's getting what sermons. (laughs) Remember last time when I was preaching like the whole Noah episode, it was like three chapters of the Bible, and I said something to the effect of, you know, when you're the associate pastor, you you back clean up, you know. The senior pastor picks the really choice passages, and then you just do everything else, right? And then Jeff got up and preached a really hard passage, by the way. I, I gotta say, he's right. Um, He took some challenging passages, and he says, you know, don't believe everything your associate pastor hears, (laughs) right? Well, now I'm up here, and I basically have the whole Old Testament assigned to me. (laughs) The truth is, though, you need to know, I picked this. (laughs) Jeff is very gracious about the passages that he has me preach. There is no war going on between us other than the prank war that began the minute I was hired at this church. Okay. So, but that said, there's this incredible context. Essentially, this covenant is so important. It's the most extensively described covenant in the Old Testament. It's so extensive. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to it. But what I want to focus us on is how it relates to redemptive history, how it essentially hits the hyperdrive and moves us towards the grand redemption that our God has planned for us. Okay, And I want you to see how connected it is to the other covenants and how it is a trajectory taking us towards Christ. So real quickly, when we think about the Mosaic Covenant, you can't think about it separate from the other ones. Let's start with the Adamic Covenant of grace. When, when they get kicked out of the garden and there's that, that promise of the serpent head being crushed, right? He's going to strike his, strike his heel, but his head's going to be crushed. That's the promise of Satan, our ultimate enemy, being destroyed, right? Well, there's some very intentional ways in which Moses, when he's telling the story of Israel's redemption out of Egypt, that he connects with that. Do you remember the very beginning of the story when Moses gets out into the wilderness, right? He's had to flee, right, Egypt. It's just him out there by himself, and there's a burning bush, right? And he takes off his sandals, and God gives him his name, right? Incredible, right? And, and he says, hey, I'm going to send you back in there, and he, uh, but don't worry, I'm going to give you some signs. Well, what are the signs? He's got a staff, and he throws it down, and what does it turn into? A serpent. And do you remember when he goes and actually confronts Pharaoh? Like, Pharaoh's magicians have staffs that turn into serpents too, but guess what happens? 
His, his staff is preeminent over those. Do you see how that's God saying, look, I'm the God who is in control even over the serpent. You see? That promise that I made to Adam, I got a sign that that promise is still good. And the other sign that he gave him, right, was the leprosy, right? He puts his hand in his cloak and he's like all leprous and then back and, oh, it's better. Wow, <laughs> right? <laughs> Think about that in relation to the curse of decay and suffering and death. God's showing, I am the God who is in control even of that. Do you see the connection? What about the uh, Noadic covenant? Um, there's a lot of connections between the Noadic covenant and the, the Mosaic covenant. We just talked about some of them, but the very, very beginning of the story, do you remember? It's, uh, remember with Noah, right? God preserves Noah out of all of the earth because he's the righteous one. He's the one, the child of the promise. He's going to preserve him as a remnant, him and his family, right? And he's going to destroy everything else, all of the, the wicked people, the people that have basically sold out uh, uh, and who are actually attacking the promise, right? They're a threat to the promise. He's going to wipe them out. Well, at the beginning of Exodus, we have the opposite. We have the powers of the world essentially threatening to wipe out the people of God by water. Do you remember? Cast the those kids in the Nile, kill the firstborn, right? That's the kind of the beginning. And how does God preserve his people? You know, the basket that Moses' mother puts him in, in the Nile, the word for that is ark. He preserves him with an ark. And who is it that actually cares for Moses, brings him up? It's Pharaoh's daughter. So the joke is on the world, <laughs> The joke is on Pharaoh. Pharaoh is trying to kill the Israelites, God's people, and yet accidentally he provides for the, the actual deliverer of God's people. Do you see? God preserves the deliverer through water. Connection to the Noahic covenant. And then the other thing that we talked about, right, is the Red Sea. He didn't just preserve the deliverer. He preserved his people through the sea and used the water even to crush the army of Pharaoh, to basically take the teeth out of him. He's no longer a threat. So do you see the connection between the Noahic covenant? God is continuing to fulfill what he had started with Noah. And then Abraham, Abraham was promised that his, his offspring would be a great nation, as numerous as the stars. And what do we see? In Exodus, the people have grown. They're no longer a small little tribe. They're essentially a nation, right? That are being, they're being brought up out of Egypt. And they're being brought to the land of Canaan. The promise that God had made to Abraham is the foundation with which he begins talking to Moses. He says, I am the God of your fathers. And I promised these things. And I will see that promise through. And the story of all of these books is essentially the grand realization of that. We're on the verge of it, right on the verge of Jordan, about to cross into the promised land at the end of Deuteronomy, right? So do you see how all of these covenants are connected and that God is kind of working throughout history, kind of bringing us up to this point? Okay, good. The next thing I want to do is look at the substance of the Mosaic covenant ceremony. Um, so here's the substance of the Mosaic covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the promise. It's a continuation of the promise to Abraham, for sure, and Noah and Adam. But it's a grander 
more full, more complete promise. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will be your God. You'll know me by name. He gives them his name, right? I will be your God who fights for you, who delivers you. I will be your God who dwells with you, right? And you will be my people, not people who I have kind of like an occasional relationship with, right? But a people who know my character because I will give you my law, right? I will make you like me. You will be my people, marked by me, right? Do you see how, how incredible that promise is, how full that is, how much bigger that is than what he's promised Abraham? It's just, it's the same promise, just grown, right? That's the substance of the promise, and that's, that's what we see in Exodus 24 and in Exodus 19, where this, this whole process starts. He starts talking again and again, I will be your God, you will be my people. In fact, in that scope of Scripture that I just shared with you, from Exodus to Deuteronomy into the prophets, the, the phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people, occurs something like over 80 times. If I read all of those, that would be the end of the sermon. Wouldn't have any time for anything else. God again and again issues this promise, reminding the people, encouraging them, I will be your God, you will be my people. That's the substance of the promise. Okay? I will be your God, you will be my people. And this is a two-way contract. It's a two-way promise. Right? Did you notice in the reading? Right? Moses came and read all of the law to the people and they said, we'll do it. We will do it. We've seen the deliverance of God. We love this God. We want to be his people. All of these rules, this is great. What righteousness looks like, that's what we want to be. We want to be like God. We'll do it. Sign us up, Moses. Right? And so that's, that's what Moses does. He goes as a representative of the people up onto the mountain. And what happens is a covenant ceremony where they very formally agree to this. Now, um, the Mosaic Covenant is perhaps the most marriage-like of the Old Testament covenants. So what, what you need to understand is what is essentially happening, God is marrying these people, <laughs> right? There's, there's these vows that each have taken, right? Promises on each side. We're going to be together. We want to be together forever, right? That's essentially what's being promised. And we're going we're gonna to marry each other. We're going to become one. God is becoming one with his people. He's moving towards that. That's essentially the picture of this ceremony. And there's, there's certain parts of it that are, um, that are maybe kind of like a little bit foreign to us. First of all, there's, there's a lot of blood. <laughs> Did you notice? There's a lot of blood in Exodus 24. Um, we picked up on that, right, by the way, with the Abrahamic covenant. Dax talked about that, right? There was a lot of blood there, there too, right? Animals were cut in half and God walked through them. And said, if I don't keep this promise, may what happened to these animals happen to me? Well, there's a little bit of that going on here too, right? Only this is, this is very clearly a two-way promise. And so blood is being sprinkled in two places. One is on the altar, representing God. And one is on the people themselves, right? Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's <laughs> picture that, <laughs> right? Wow. Um, what you need to understand is, is that was very common in the ancient Near East. Like that, that was a very common picture of, of promising, essentially, hey, if, if what I am promising to do, if I don't do it, may what happened to these animals happen to me. 
the closest thing that I can come up with this to, to compare this to is, remember when you were like a kid and you really wanted to convince somebody you were going to do something? What did you say? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? <laughs> That's, what's that? That's going to hurt. You're right, exactly. That is exactly right. That's going to hurt. That's the point, right? You're saying, hey, I really want something bad to happen to me if I don't fulfill this promise. That's what's happening here. But I hope you also see that in the sacrifice, too, there's, there's a connection to Passover, right? There's a sense in which the people can't even begin to approach God unless there's blood involved because of their sinfulness. It's, there's so much amazement in Exodus 24 about the fact that Moses and the people can get even this close to God, right? And the only way they can do that is with the blood. So I hope you see that that blood connects to two things, right, that we continue to practice to this day. Baptism, right? We sprinkle babies. That's Presbyterians love Exodus 24 because we're like, look, it's sprinkling, <laughs> right? And we say we're washed by the blood, right? There's that. And then there's also the sacrifice, which points to the fact that we didn't fulfill the covenant. And yet, the penalty fell on someone else, on Jesus Christ. So do you see that? The blood is very important. This blood of the covenant is a very key component in which when you hit the light, light speed button or whatever those things are, right, the stars start striping in one direction and that's pointed to Christ. You see? And then there's this amazing thing, right, at the end of this passage. After all the blood, everybody's all bloody, <laughs> right? And then God invites them up onto the mountain for a meal. And there's all this talk about, it, like, under his feet is, like, you know, sapphires, like, super clear, like, kind of picturing the heavens. Essentially, what you have is a picture of God's people coming over for dinner, <laughs> right, with God. Do you see? This is the first picture of what we would call the Lord's Supper. This is the Lord, right, Yahweh, inviting his people to dine with them. Now, I want you to think about what they were eating, because that's important. What were they eating? The passage is right before Exodus 24, God institutes manna. So it might have been manna. It's not uncommon for the priests to have eaten animals that were sacrificed. So it might have been that. Either way, guess who that points to? Jesus, right? The stars are streaking right to Christ. There will be a time when God will dwell with his people and dine with them. They'll be that close that, that not only will they see him as though his feet are on sa like sapphire on this incredibly, like, incredible display of his glory and power, they will see him intimately in a room having food where he himself will point them to the fact that what they're eating actually points to him. Okay? Do you see the beauty of the substance of this covenant ceremony and how it points to God's care and compassion for his people, not only in the moment, but ultimately to where they're going? It's incredible. I love Exodus 24. I think it's one of the most underpreached passages of the Old Testament. It's an incredible picture. All right. I want to conclude by talking about the main blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. This is, we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time here, but 
we're, we're on the last point, okay? So the main blessings of the Mosaic Covenant, the gifts, if you will, um, there, there are several things that I want to call your attention to. There are lots of things that we could talk about, but I'm going to focus on four. Um, first of all, notice the scope, the growing scope of the Mosaic Covenant, right? With Noah, it's one person, one family, right? With Abraham, it's an extended family, right? And offspring, it's growing. With Moses, it's a nation. What is it with us? The nations. Do you see? God is growing the scope of his redemptive work, slowly but surely. Now, I talked about how in Advent, we train ourselves to long in the right direction. What would it look like to, like, to, to, to long in the wrong direction, right? Do sometimes we long in the wrong direction with regard of, to the scope of God's work? You better believe we do. Because sometimes, like C.S. Lewis, who starts out in hell where everybody is separate and nobody's bothering them, we want to be alone with God. We want it to just be us and Jesus. We don't want other people with other differences coming in to the family, messing things up. I mean, like I read the story about like Exodus and all the people. I mean, Moses was pulling his hair out. Like, what am I supposed to do with all these knuckleheads, right? Sometimes we feel like that as the church, right? As the scope of salvation has been increased and more people are coming in, we're just pulling our hair out with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we want a long that was just us and Jesus. That we could, or at least just us and some same people. I'll tell you where I struggle. So uh, I went to Jordan for two months and I, I worshiped in an evangelical free church in Jordan. It was all in Arabic. And I gotta tell you, it's gonna take me some time to learn to appreciate Arabic music. If there's anybody here from the Middle East, I don't mean to be offensive. I want to learn to appreciate it, but I'm telling you right now, I don't. But you know what I, I love? Is the way that those saints welcomed me and cared for me and the beauty of where God is taking us, where all kinds of different people, every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to fall down before him, worshiping at the throne for eternity. I want that. I want to see the beauty of all of you guys, Right? of all of you guys fully redeemed and what God is doing with all of us together. I want to see a unified humanity under Christ. That's longing in the right direction, right? And that is the direction that the Mosaic Covenant, as compared to the others, headed towards Christ, takes us. This Advent, don't miss the opportunity to long for that, to dream of it, to pray for it. Second thing, deliverance. The deliverance in, in, in Exodus. Man, what an incredible picture. What an incredible picture of God powerfully delivering over other gods, right? But, but looking forward, right, into what deliverance we have, where Satan himself has been defeated, defanged, like Pharaoh on the edge of the Red Sea with his army swept away, shaking his fists, like, that's all Satan's got left after the cross. We have been delivered from our great enemies, right? And they're still around, though. They're still around. 
And we still face brokenness, don't we? We still face brokenness, but sometimes, sometimes we get tired of all the rigmarole around celebrating this deliverance. The people in, in, in the wilderness got tired of that, and they said, let's go back to Pharaoh. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we long in the wrong direction. We say, you know what? <sighs> this deliverance, it's not all that. Let's give it up. You know, rather than actually being with God's people and worshiping, we'll just listen to a podcast, right? Rather than celebrating with others um, who are not believers about the work that God has done, we will just hide that, right? We'll go back to the world, to the practices and the rhythms of life that the world has for us because they're just easier. This Advent, don't long in the wrong direction. Long for the future deliverance that we will have where everything will be defeated that stands against us. You know, the uh, book of Romans, Paul talks about all of the enemies that we have. Romans chapter 8, he says, I'm convinced that none of these things, and he rattles off this list of everything ranging from like worldly powers and worldly suffering all the way to like cosmic powers. And he says, ain't nothing going to separate us from the love of God. He says, essentially, we are in a deliverance tank that is impenetrable by anything that our enemies have. All we have to do, brothers and sisters, is we have to roll in that tank and God is going to blast our enemies out of the way. And we can move into dark spaces with advent, expectation, and hope, right? Longing for all the dark places to be defeated by the great tank of our God. That's what he's going to do. That's longing in the right direction. Thirdly, the proximity of the Lord in the Mosaic Covenant is, wow. I mean, it just, it really moves forward, right? Like, you get the sense that Abraham is kind of like occasionally visited, but God's saying to his people, like, no, look, I'm going to give you instructions on how to build a tent, and I'm going to live in it with you right here. And by the way, here's my name, <laughs> right? gives them his, their, his name. He says, I'm going to live with you. We're going to go everywhere together. There's going to be this big fiery pillar. It's going to be great. Like, I mean, incredible God dwelling with his people. And you know what? Sometimes I think we look at that and we go, that'd be nice. I'd really like a physical representation of God, like a tent um, where God dwells, right next door. Well, the truth is we have something better, right? Believers, we are the tent. <laughs> the Holy Spirit dwells within us. God came in physical form, Jesus Christ. But he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you something better. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to dwell in you. We have unprecedented access to God. But sometimes we just kind of, we long for the days of the big miracles rather than having the miracle of having God dwell within us. And I think about that. I'm like, what does it look like to long in the right direction with that? Right? To, to celebrate what we have. I think about prayer. My prayer life is the sorriest things that exist on the earth because I'm a pastor and I should really pray. But I don't pray that much. I realized that this summer when I was on sabbatical. One of the things, that, one of the great gifts of the sabbatical was I started painting and I decided, you know what? I love painting. I do it all the time, every night. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray through painting. Brothers and sisters, will you take advantage of the reality of where we are in redemptive history, that God is in you and invite him into things 
Start talking to him. The New Testament talks about praying without ceasing. I believe that's letting God into all aspects of your life and expecting him to be interested and involved and in dialogue with you. He wants to talk to you. This morning, we had a great prayer time down in the basement with the saints of Mount Pleasant. And it rocked the foundations of this church. I'm telling you, if you ever want to join us, Sunday morning, 8.30, great time of prayer. Long in the right direction, um, expecting that God is going to build uh, his temple with us. You know, the, the direction that all of this is going, if you think about it, um, the Lord walked with the early fathers, right, Abraham. With Moses, he camped with the people. We're going to talk about this next week, but with David, he built a permanent residence, right, or made plans to. In the new covenant now, he dwells within us. But where are we going? We're going to dwell with him. Last week, um, one of our dear saints, Josephine Walker, passed away. She's been a member of this church for something like 14 years. And she has been such a blessing to this church. But now she's with Christ for eternity in heaven. Long in that direction because that is all of our future, together with her and with Christ forever. All right, finally, last gift of the Mosaic Covenant is the law. Um, and this is, the, this is like fruitcake, right, at Christmas. Everybody's like, oh, the law. He's going to talk about the law like it's a gift. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> But everybody always does this with, with the Mosaic Covenant. It's why the Mosaic Covenant gets hated on more than any others. It's like, it's like oftentimes separated out. It's like there was redemptive history, but we took a little bit of a step back with Moses because we kind of agreed to this thing where we were going to try and follow the law, and obviously that wasn't going to work, right? And there's, there's some sort of like expectation, like God instituted this with us like he thought we would figure it out. no. The law was a gift because it pointed us to Christ um, um, because of our failure. But more than that, the law was a gift because it talks about our destination. Think about that. I will be your God. You will be my people. Part of the promise of the new covenant is not only that we are justified, right, declared righteous, but that God through sanctification will make us righteous. Brothers and sisters, don't you long for that? I'll tell you what, I have walked through some broken, messed up stuff in my life. But at the end of the day, the thing that makes me the most sad, that makes me long for the new heavens and new earth more than anything, is the new perfected me. Because I'm tired of the sinful, terrible me. A lot of the brokenness I've walked through in this world, I caused. And I'm so thankful that God gave us his law as a marker, a light stream towards where we're going to be like Christ. And I can't wait. Here's the thing, though. Often we long in the wrong direction. We long in the wrong direction. We'll say, we'll take the justification, thank you very much. Sanctification, well, just whenever you work out that glorification, God, give us a call. 
But the truth is, is that we have this incredible privilege of knowing where we need to go and having the opportunity of being about the work of the kingdom. God invites us into his redemptive work. We get to do it, be a part of it. And there's all kinds of ways in which sanctification applies. And there's all kinds of ways that, if we're honest, everybody in a seat in this room and everybody standing have given up on certain parts of it. But instead, we need to long with the expectant deliverance that God gives his people that he will work in mighty and powerful ways. These are the gifts of the Mosaic Covenant that point us to Christ and give us great hope, but also challenge us to dream bigger than we dream, to stop being satisfied in a broken and fallen world with broken and fallen selves and look to the path that it points to. All right, so in conclusion... The Mosaic Covenant, the New Covenant, they both direct us to long in at least four ways. For the scope of the kingdom to be expanded, for our deliverance from the world to be completed, for God to be brought nearer, and for us to be made more fully like Christ. I want to read this passage from Revelation chapter 7 because it's a picture of where we're going. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hear that? Therefore they are before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They are his people. He is their God. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lambs in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. CTK, may the God who delivered you, who dwells within you, who is transforming you, be your source of joy. And may you long to have more and more of him this Advent season. He longs to give you more and more because of Christ Jesus. He will be your God. You will be his people for all eternity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.